0: Voxpro, powering the customer operations of the world's leading technology companies.
1: Customer experience is the new competitive battleground, and to compete at the highest level, you've got to have an edge. I'm Patrick Hawhey, content editor at Voxpro, and we're all about beautiful customer experience, and this podcast is all about giving you that edge. Welcome to Voxpro Studios. Now in the words of VoxPro's co-founder and CEO Dan Kiley, "We are on the verge of the next paradigm shift in customer experience, and it's called the Internet of Things, IoT. Because the vast amounts of data collected by connected devices, wearable tech, RF technology, that kind of innovation, it allows companies to build incredibly detailed profiles, not just of customer segments, but of individuals. And it's really changing the face of the CX landscape forever. So in this episode, we're profiling a company that is built on collecting and collating this big data and using it to create a very special, special customer experience for its users. That company' is called Strava, and I'm joined now by its co-founder and CEO Mark Ganey Mark, welcome to Vox Pro Studios.
0: Thanks for having me.
1: You're very welcome and great for you to join us. Can you start by telling us what Strava is very simply?
0: Sure, easiest way to describe Strava is uh, really the worlds social network for athletes. Uh, we are a, we're a technology company headquartered in San Francisco where we've developed products and services, largely on uh, mobile apps, but also working with lots of partners with wearables and, and web services to create a, a service for athletes where they can they can gather, they can track their rides, their runs, their, their ski sessions and surf sessions. Uh, they can analyze that information, but really, most importantly, they can gather together. They can trash talk. They can give each other kudos and high fives and hopefully just keep people a little more active in the world today.
1: And how many people are using Strava?
0: Oh, gosh. We have tens of millions of folks around the globe. Uh, we add we add a million new members uh, about every month.
1: A million new members every month? Correct. That is incredible. So this is a, a million new bunches of data, so to speak, that you are collecting on your users and able to compile them into just this fantastically rich profile of who's using your service.
0: That's correct. I mean, we... we We think about them very much as our members, uh, as part of this community that we're building around the globe, but you're right, because they are sharing where they're being active and what they're doing, we have a fascinating data set to work from to hopefully just continue to offer great products down the road.
1: OK, so we're going to get into the customer experience element of this in a, in a couple of moments and, and how th- this data really puts companies like yours at a, at a distinct advantage over those who maybe have to spend much longer um, trying to collate any kind of data they can. Uh, but first of all, is Strava a company of product designers or is it a company of athletes?
0: <laughs> Fascinating question. Uh I'm going to say it's more the former and less the latter. Uh, it's important for us to have people who can be objective and ultimately build and support products for our athletes. So I, I always caution someone, you don't have to be an athlete to come and work at Strava. We want as diverse uh, a team as possible because that, that shared perspective and that diversity really helps us think about the needs of our customer in, a, in as clear a way as possible. That being said, Patrick, I will admit there are an awful lot of passionate athletes who work at Strava, and it's just one of those things. You're 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 going to enjoy what we build here if you enjoy it yourself.
1: Sure. And the the whole the, the whole idea from the company came from a sort of an athletic uh, germ, so to speak. Was it you, yourself and your co-founder um, uh, who were part of the Harvard rowing team? Is that right?
0: That's correct. Yeah, Michael and I, co-founders here at Strava, and we we met gosh, almost 30 years ago, as uh, members of the crew team at Harvard, had an amazing experience on that team. And frankly, we wanted to recreate the experience, not only for our friends, but ultimately for this global audience.
1: And what was that experience?
0: You know, it's it's hard to describe until you're there, but I think that the idea was uh, this notion of esprit de corps, this camaraderie that comes from sort of a shared effort towards working towards a goal. Uh, you know, we're, we were so fortunate to, to be in a boathouse where you have everything built in, the coaching, the teamwork, the competition, that sweat and training that goes into sort of the effort, uh, you know, the successes and failures. But because you have teammates, it's shared. At times you're competing with them, at times you're training with them, but at the end of the day, everybody's game was elevated. Our only problem was we graduated. <laughs> so we needed to recreate it and that was where Strava came from
1: so technically what you've done is is recreate something that was uh, you know a, a kind of microcosmic this is your team in one specific place in one specific country and what you've done is is try to create that experience for, for uh, I suppose build a team of people all around the world who come together on your platform that's correct
0: uh I think if you were to ask Michael and, and I'll acknowledge this, when we first started Strava, uh, we had no idea uh, whether it would support the kinds of people that we have today and the, the size and scope. If it had supported twenty of our closest friends and, and kept us a little more active, uh, we probably would have been happy. It, it really was very much a personal endeavor. Uh, you know, we were we were now in our early forties and had a passion for being active, but. As most of us know, life has a funny way of getting in the way. Uh and and so Strava was very much this concept of boy, we need something personally that can keep us going and as luck would have it, it turned out that that was true for a whole lot more folks than we ever anticipated.
1: Did it seem that Strava back in the early days and I know you sort of started it aimed at a, at a an odd at a, at a customer base of cyclists? Did it seem at some point in the early days that this thing was not going to take off because investors maybe thought that this was a little too niche an audience for to build a, a scaling company on?
0: I think that there was always skepticism about the size of the opportunity. You're, you're correct. Investors, uh, Many investors would have looked at Strava and said, "Oh, it's a clever product, but that's awfully niche. I think what we tried to uh, describe, or at least where we were comfortable, was to remind people that there's a difference between a go-to-market strategy and a long-term vision. Michael and I always envisioned this opportunity of supporting a global community of athletes across a broad spectrum of sports, and frankly, even motivations. You know, Not all athletes participate in sports for the same reasons. And so we were really interested over time, and for us, it's a, it's a long journey to support this very diverse community of athletes. But to go to market for us was really important to be very focused. And despite the fact that neither Michael or I are really cyclists by background, I mean, we're rowers, we're runners. What we found was by being very focused on that first audience, we could be authentic with them. We could could really understand their needs at a deep level and create products that that really spoke to them, that resonated with the cycling community. And our theory was if we could do that with that first group over time, we could then evolve the experience to be just as authentic across a broad range of sports.
1: It reminds me of the the, the phrase that Paul Graham from Y Combinator coined is, do things that don't scale. That's exactly right. It's counterintuitive,
0: particularly here in Silicon Valley, where there's always this, you know, get big fast mentality. but. The reality was, if you don't have that initial product fit, that that product market fit that so many people describe, it's very hard to ever think
1: about scale.
0: Vox Pro, powered by Telus International.
1: So fast-forwarded today, as you say, millions of people joining all the time. What are the data points that you collect? What are the devices that your um, members are wearing and connecting with that bring all this data into your centralized hub?
0: So one of the strategies that we decided early on was that we would be, in essence, Switzerland when it came to the wearables market and the, the athlete's desire to capture information. And what I mean by that was rather than coming out with our own proprietary solution we started partnering with everybody in the world who was offering a way to to capture your athletic activity, whether that's a a watch, whether that's a, a bicycle computer, whether that's a heart rate monitor. You know, today we probably support I would get somewhere between two, three hundred different devices, and it's everybody from a Garmin or an Apple Watch or a Fitbit, uh, a Suntō. It doesn't matter. If it's something that the athlete is using to capture their activity while they're out doing their sport, we want to ensure that that information can come in easily into Strava. And so we, we work very hard to make sure that our API and, and other technologies make that seamless. That allows us a, a great opportunity then to be agnostic, basically.
1: The interesting thing there is how, how I suppose quickly your data points are scaling because you're finding these trackers in everything now in clothing and bicycle frames and running shoes. They're, they're not just something that's in a watch or in your phone anymore.
0: That's correct. The innovation is is mind blowing, really. It's I think we're just at the tip of the iceberg and we keep seeing great innovation, whether it's a Kickstarter project or it's a major multinational organization. They're all realizing that the easier you make it to collect the data, the more fun we can have with the information afterwards.
1: The user experience, and this is something that that I think forms a central part of the customer experience, is you're taking this crazy large amount of data and bringing it together um, and collating it for people. How crucial is it to present the information you're collecting in a beautiful, clean, well-designed way?
0: Yeah, it's a great question. You know, I think we, we would start our argument when it comes to customer experience at that, that product design level that you're describing. Um, there's so many data points coming in. There's so many pieces of information that we could share that a lot of time is actually spent simplifying the, the user experience, trying to understand what are those base elements that they really want to share. And frankly, the phrase we use a lot inside Strava is how do we help a Strava member tell their story? What's the story they're telling with each and every upload that they do? And by doing that, you pretty quickly come down to those base elements. There's a map. There's photos. There's comments and kudos. There's things to just allow people to really interact with each other in a fun way.
1: And the story, you mentioned the word story, and this is something that I think really sets Strava... Apart from maybe some other companies that that have customers and are a part of their lives in a different way, you're a part of your your members' lives in a. I suppose I don't know if emotional is the right word, but you're tapping into their goals, their performance, the fact that they want to be part of a community. Um, so I suppose it's more emotive than than intellectual. You you might argue. How important is that, and how powerful is that?
0: Oh, yeah, I think it's at the core of the Strava experience. It's. It's funny, Patrick. You know, we've we've always uh, been somewhat uncomfortable with the phrase "social network for athletes." It's it's the way I used to describe the company at the outset. Yet, it doesn't quite convey what it is that we were trying to do for our members and what our members tell us they have. But what they what they need is there's a core component of their life that that really does revolve around their athletic endeavors and the people that they that they connect with on those. And if we can make that just a little bit easier, give them that that digital connection, we find that they're, we find statistically, they're more active, they stay healthier. Uh, There's all these wonderful outcomes that that come from that.
1: And I was also interested to read about some of the different ways that you use the, the huge amounts of information you're collecting. Tell us about Strava Metro.
0: Right. Yes, so Strava Metro was a, a business unit that we launched about three years ago. Uh, it was actually in conjunction with a, a partner, at actually the state of Oregon here in the States came to us and uh, had an interesting challenge where they were trying to better understand the traffic patterns that existed uh, within their cycling and pedestrian community in their major cities. And as we began to look at our data, we realized that we actually now have so many members uploading not only their workouts, but frankly, even their daily commutes on Strava, that we were able to pull up a statistically significant uh, uh, set of data that was able to help these city planners begin to better understand their infrastructure and the ways in which they could modify their routes and their bike lanes and pedestrian thoroughfares and so forth to accommodate sort of that relationship between your auto traffic and your pedestrian traffic. So three years later, we now work with hundreds of cities around the world, uh, everywhere from again, Oregon or Florida and United States to places like London and, and Melbourne, Australia, to really help the city planners and local departments of transportation rethink their infrastructure and, and really upgrade to to create better thoroughfares
1: it's really interesting and it's great to see how you know the beyond the sporting endeavors how this sort of mass information can can help societies and communities and and cities you know i think that's a, it's such a forward-thinking way to go about it
0: you know we sat down uh, a number of years ago and really painted a vision for the company, and it was a pretty simple line. It was just simply, we would love to have a world of inspired athletes where every activity can have an impact. And we've been pleasantly surprised at this ability to sort of aggregate this information in a way where we can have an impact across these these community barriers.
1: Okay, so I'm gonna throw an awkward question at you. Um, we are talking about all the fantastic ways that we can use, um, that, that people's data can be used, their movements, what they're doing, where they're going. Do you ever worry that there may come a time where people maybe don't want to be tracked so much? Maybe where they they just they're not so comfortable with the level of trackers within their clothing and their devices and their bicycle frames and their cars.
0: We think about it a lot. We think about what what is the uh, what is the experience? And and the way I would phrase it is uh, how do we give our members Option. How do we give them choice? How do we give them stability? And the example I use is we often refer to the fact that Strava started as very much a single-player experience. Our thesis was if there were only one member at Strava, what would they get value from? And in essence, I think it it tries to solve the problem you're describing, which is how can we allow someone to have a very private yet rich experience with their information if they've decided to capture it in the first place? Which is a, a question that that uh, is open to debate. But assuming they do, how can we keep that as single player, private, they're just getting personal. And then over time, if they see the value in the context that comes from sharing their information with others, so be it. I think in Strava, we even today, there's very much always this mindset of there's wonderful things you can do in terms of connecting with your fellow athletes, but it's just as valuable. And we give the option to every member to make things very private. And I think in doing that, we sort of allow that, that uh, at least we dissipate that tension a bit.
1: Yeah, just bring it down to personal choice. Maybe people don't want to be tracked without their consent, but with their consent and with mutual benefit, then it all makes sense.
0: It, selling the cost versus the benefit, I think, is the critical thing. If we can demonstrate the benefits uh, and give them the option to how they want to interact with Strava, we found that seems to be a good, good line to draw on the sand
1: okay i'm going to turn the tables as i do in every episode with each guest mark and ask you is there a company two companies three companies whoever springs to mind out there that you really rate as best in class for customer experience
0: ah great question you know i think the first that comes to mind would be uh Oh, it's probably someone that everybody says, but I gotta give credit where it's due. Virgin. Uh you know, Virgin and, and here in the States I happen to be a frequent flyer on Virgin America. Uh and they I just think that Richard Branson, he he figured out the recipe decades ago, uh, but I've been impressed with the way in which he maintains that ethos. Uh there's a certain humility to their customer experience, there's a certain humor to what they do. Uh they seem to keep things in perspective, yet they also just pay amazing attention to the details. And, uh, yeah, I give them a lot of credit.
1: The Voxpro CEO, Dan Kiley, is going to be very happy with your answer. He's a major, major fan of Richard Branson. And, in fact, he got to spend a few days on Necker Island with him at a sort of a leadership thinking uh, a few months ago. So he's going to like your answer, Mark.
0: Oh, that's great to hear. Well, that's, that wasn't a setup. That no. was, uh Yeah, I am... Honest in my appraisal, I I really do appreciate what they've done.
1: Excellent. Well, look, finally, um, and another question I like to ask thought leaders like yourself and experts in your field like yourself, things are changing so fast every day. And we've we've talked about some of the the changes in the in the course of this great interview. Uh, Fast forwarding five or 10 years, where do you see this space, the wearables, you know, IOT and where it's fitting into our lives?
0: Yeah, you know, you touched on it earlier. I think that what's fascinating for us in the athletic world and what's going on within sports and and sort of digital technologies is just the seamless integration. Uh, You know, It used to be that you had to sit down with uh, a pad of paper and a pencil after a workout and try to record everything. And then it was put it onto a spreadsheet. And then, you know, a number of years ago, we began seeing heart rate monitors and things you could put on your wrist. But to your point, now that we're beginning to see the integration into the clothing, into the shoes, into the bicycle components or the skis, the beauty of that is the, the athlete themselves just simply can go and enjoy their experience. And in doing so, and us capturing it afterwards, that, that seamless from being active to then being able to discover information before they go out on their next ride or their next run, uh, we're just very excited about the way in which that, that sort of streamlines together. Uh, so, I, I think for us, it's really sort of one mills into the other without you having to take serious steps to, to merge the two, if that makes sense.
1: Absolutely makes sense. And the, the, finally, finally, the, I, I can only imagine that the amount of data that is going to be available to be collected um, is only going to get bigger and bigger and exponentially by the day and by the week and by the year. Are we set up, are our systems, are our technologies set up to capture all of this data?
0: You know, I think that the, the solution at Strava is to always be cognizant of which data is relevant. And it's only as good as, as as a word I used earlier, bringing context to it. So we get excited when there's enough similar data coming in from various athletes around the globe that we can actually do the compare and contrast. We can begin to bring relevance to it. I'll give you the example. One of the interesting things we're now tracking quite a bit on Strava is just the various types of equipment that someone uses in the field. It doesn't do much good if only one person tells us what bicycle they're on. But if we have, again, tens of millions of people telling us which bike they're riding, we can really begin to understand and help even other companies think about their product evolution. Uh, So from our perspective, I think it's it's a notion of context and not worrying so much about how much data we bring in, but are we bringing in the relevant data, the data that's of high value to to our particular customer?
1: It's fascinating stuff. Mark Ganey, CEO and co-founder of Strava. Thank you so much for dropping in and joining us in Voxpro Studios today.
0: Patrick, it's my pleasure. Anytime.
1: Voxpro, powered by TELUS
0: International.
1: And for more insights from the masters of customer experience, you can subscribe to the Voxpro Studios podcast channel on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to check out voxprogroup.com for all of our latest articles, ebooks, and CX thought leadership. For now, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.
0: Vox Pro Studios Insight, Innovation, Inspiration.